Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. I'm your host, Tom Singer, and I have had the honor for the last two years to host this podcast that is the official podcast of the National Speakers Association. And every single week, we try to bring to you somebody who is going to bring us some fresh ideas and actionable information so we can go out there and be better at our craft and make more money. And today, we are joined by Jim Cathcart, CSP, CPAE. Hey, Jim, welcome to Speakernomics. Thank you, Tom. Great to be here. I'm glad to have you. Today, we're going to talk about professionalism, and you've got some tips for us. Jim, what are your two tips for speakers when it comes to professionalism? And then we'll define that when we come back in just a second. Two tips are item one, when someone contacts you to discuss what having you as a speaker at their event, be more than a speaker. In other words, don't focus on booking a speech. Focus on identifying their problem and solving that. Because there's a reason they're bringing in a speaker, and it's usually not just to fill a hole in their agenda. All right, and tip number two? Tip number two is be a bigger resource than they thought you were. You know, they think you've got a good message. Maybe you've written a book or you're known for some key event, but they don't realize how many problems you could solve. (laughs) Sometimes you can turn what was a simple inquiry into a multi-year contract. And I've done that. Nice. So for those of you who don't know Jim Cathcart, and I think if you're a speaker and you haven't heard of Jim, you had to have been living under a rock because he's been an active speaker all around the world for over 45 years. Jim is a motivational speaker who has traveled all over the world. He's written 23 books and he tries to bring hope to the world in a usable and businesslike fashion. He's also a singer, a guitar player, and a lifetime member of the American Motorcyclists Association. That would be the, the AMA, but not the medical one, right? That's right. All right. And also, Jim joined the National Speakers Association in 1976. So he joined just a year or two after we got founded. And during that time that he has been a super active member, he has served as president. He has been inducted into the Speaker Hall of Fame. He has his certified speaking professional designation. And he has chaired just about every single possible committee that NSA has had over the years, except he's never been treasurer, which is Probably a good idea. We don't want Jim counting the money, I think. So, Jim, before we get started with professionalism and your tips, you know, we're lucky to have you here. You've seen everything in the speaking industry from really the earliest of earliest days. Why did you join NSA back in 1976 and and what did you think you'd get out of it? And then what have you seen the the evolution of the organization and, and why do you stay involved? I was a trainer for the U.S. Junior Chamber of Commerce back when they were huge, 356,000 members at the peak of the baby boom, basically. And uh, when I worked at the JC's headquarters, I was in charge of leadership training. Individual development is what they called it. So it was speaking and leadership and management and motivation, that kind of thing. Um, 
NSA was where the big boys played. You know, I wanted to go down there because that was the cool kids. And they had just formed in 73, 74. And in, in 1976, when I when they came on my radar, they had maybe 200 members. And I went to a meeting in Phoenix um, held by General Cassette Corporation, which was owned at the time by Bill Johnson, who became the first executive director of NSA. And while I was out there, I met Cavett Robert and Bill Gove, the first president of NSA, Cavett, the founder, of course. And they became friends. And, of course, they were light years ahead of me in the industries. But we hit up, hit it off as friends. And at the same time, I was learning a great deal from them just in that one little weekend event, which, by the way, was emceed by Joel Weldon, CPAE. And... Um, I said, well, I want to join. I want to be part of this. What does it take? They said $60. And I said, gee, that much money. I was going to say, the, the, said, okay. the, dues, the dues are a little bit more expensive now. Yeah, but adjusted for inflation, that was not a small amount. So I paid my 60 and I came back home and I was talking to a guy who had sold me Earl Nightingale's motivational recordings and gotten me into that business. And he said, Jim, that's just a bunch of good old boys patting each other on the back. Save your 60 bucks. Well, I'm glad I didn't take his advice because NSA has become my professional family. These are my classmates. You know, there's the people I grew up with in the industry and, and it's enriched my life on so many levels. I couldn't even begin to count them. And the other day they had a celebration of Cabot Roberts birthday, Cabot, our founder. And they said, who was your Cabot Robert? The one who mentored and inspired you? Well, Watch on camera if you can. See that statue in the distance? That's the Cabot Award. <laughs> for, for those listening for those listening on audio, which most people are, yep. uh, Jim is a winner of the Cabot Award, and uh, he, he turned his camera to show us the statue that he, he won as, as a Cabot member. And, and the key to the Cabot Award is it's not won. In other words, you can't compete for it. The Cabot Award is a statue that's given each year to one person in recognition of Keeping alive the spirit of supporting, encouraging, giving, caring and sharing, as Cavett used to say, other members in our profession. And I had the honor of receiving that in 1993. So joined in 76 and I was president in 88, 89 and received the Cavett Award in 1993. And I'm still going strong in 2023. You were also the host of Voices of Experience, which predated Speakernomics, our podcast, when it used to come on a cassette tape and then later as a, as a CD. You hosted that program for a year. Yeah, I hosted it when it was CDs and when it was a cassette, I was president and I we had a program called set of the month. And Bill Johnson, who ran our, our association at the time, him and one secretary, they would choose one speaker's keynote on a cassette and send it out to everybody because <laughs> there weren't that many members at first, you know, and, you, and so you get Tom Singer's keynote speech. Wow, that's a good idea. I, I, I think I'll learn from this and I'll do that, you know. So you'd get 10 or 12 of those a year. That wasn't a bad deal. And then we found more ways to communicate and it's evolved since then. Nice. Well, today's topic is professionalism. And certainly over the years, you have you know been a beacon for what it was to be and what it is to be a professional speaker. What's your definition of professionalism for speakers? 
There is actually a fixed definition for what constitutes a professional. A professional, there are five qualifiers, is trained, educated for what he or she does. Their education never ends, so it's a lifelong education, not just a graduation. It's done as a service to other people. It's done for pay, and it's done according to a set of ethical standards. So when I was in a board meeting in 1984 of NSA, Robert Henry was the president, and we were having yet another discussion as to who qualified for CSP and who didn't. And I said, excuse me, but the way we're giving it out right now, it's a frequent flyer award. (laughs) If you sell enough speaking gigs and fly to them, you get your CSP ultimately. I think we need it to be true professionalism that we're certifying. And they said, well, okay, come up with a plan. So it took me a few years, but I did the research, came up with a plan, brought the eight competencies, the professional competencies model, and we grouped that into four and uh, presented it as a way to organize every article written, every chapter meeting given, every speaker selected, every keynote or every panelist and every course that's captured for NSA to learn from. So I love that. And whether people listening are a certified speaking professional, a CSP or not, and whether they uh, ascri- you know, aspire to, to get that designation, I think those five things are, are really important. The idea of, of training for what it is that you do, not just sort of winging it, but actually learning about the profession. And one thing that I've found over 14 years is that, you know, it is a profession. I mean, there is yeah. when you're on the inside of the speaking business, it is so different than when you're on the outside looking in. So I like that. I think the lifelong learning and education piece is so important for all of us because the world changes. Those of us who speak on whatever topic it is, getting up on stage is different today than it was five or 10 years ago. So keeping that learning alive. Mm -hmm. uh, I love the point you made about it being in service of others because really that's what we do if we do it right. It's not just about getting the big check. It's about really impacting the people in the audience. Yeah, it's like someone asked me one time, they said, so you're a professional speaker. They just pay you to speak. <laughs> I said, yeah, just to hear my voice. Yeah. And they, the guy looked at me like, really? I said, no, of course not. They don't pay me for the sounds I make. They pay me for the ideas they get. So it's about them and what they get, not about me and what I do. I'm not a performer, period. I am a professional speaker who's there to serve. And, and I love that. And then the fourth one is it's for pay. I think we have to remember that that's why we are members of the National Speakers Association is we want to remember that, that we don't do this for free. We do it as our, our calling, but also as the way we make our living. And then the final piece is sticking to that important level of professional ethics. So I love everything that you said there. So let's jump into your two tips now for speakers on on how to have that high level of professionalism and and, and to succeed. And your first one is, I'm going to paraphrase a little, don't just give a speech, solve their problem. Exactly. What do you mean by that? How do we put that into practice? Well, a guy called me one time. This seemed like an inappropriate illustration because it ended up in me not getting the speech. But that's the point. So the guy says, Jim, can you teach my people, my salespeople to be strong closers? I said, yes, but I won't. He said, excuse me. I said, look, if I teach your salespeople how to be strong closers, they're going to be skilled at manipulating, forcing, intimidating, coercing people into saying yes. So I can teach them that. But if I teach them that, you're just going to build a team of carnivores. 
you know, like a pack of wolves going out there after your customers. That's no way to build a business. I said, if you want them to make more sales, you'll find that some of them aren't making more sales because they're not prepared. Others aren't making more sales because they don't know how to ask for the order. Others are not making more sales because they're not adapting to the differences in their customers. They're selling the same thing to everybody in the same way. So if you want them to increase sales, I can help a lot. But if all you want is them to be strong closers, I'm not your guy. He said, then you're not our guy. And I said, thank you very much. And I'm truly glad I didn't get that booking. I would have been miserable and they wouldn't have been satisfied. Sure. So if people are going to be a bigger resource and help solve the problem, what are some let's let's reverse engineer that. What does the speaker have to do to be that resource and not just a hired gun who comes in and chats? Well, here's the thing. Most speakers early in their career, they're sitting here just all full of information they can't wait to speak about, because that's after all what they are is a speaker. Right. And and the joke that we've used for years is National Speakers Association is about three or four thousand speakers, no listeners, but lots of speakers. Well, that, <laughs> Joke, but actually NSA tends to be the best listener audience you could ask for. So what I say to people, especially in sales, and this is certainly true when you're being interviewed for a speaking engagement, lose the enthusiasm for dumping all your data on them. Don't just sit there waiting for your opportunity to tell your story and have them go, wow, let us pay you a lot of money for that. Instead, when they say, so what do you speak about? Have a quick answer that gets you back into the questioning mode. For example, what do you speak about, Jim? How to live a successful and satisfying life. What is it you're looking for at this meeting? And they said, well, what, how long's your speech? Well, how long's your listen? <laughs> huh? No, I don't have a performance that I come and do. I have a topic that I'm an expert on and a service that I provide, and I want to help you solve your problem. What are you looking to accomplish with this presentation? Well, we want our people to feel more connected with each other and more dedicated to, to advancing our cause in the marketplace, serving the customer that way. Okay. Tell me what's working right now and what you feel is missing. And then we just keep probing. And what I find many times is that there's a bigger problem than they were going to solve. They're going to the shop to buy a Band-Aid when they ought to be going to the surgeon and saying, hey, would you bring in your team? We've got a big, deep and wide problem here. So I belonged to a country club in California years ago, and I got a call from the general manager. And she said, Jim, would you you're a professional speaker? Yes. Yes. Would you come give a motivational speech to our staff? We have 225 people, if you count landscaping, catering, housekeeping and everything else that we've got 25 managers and I'm holding a series of management meetings and I'd like you to come give a motivational speech. And I said, well, let me come talk to you. So I went to her office, sat down had a probing conversation about what are the needs? What would you like to see better, different, or improved? And then I said, I don't think you should have me give a motivational speech. Oh, well, no, that's not that I don't think you should have me help. It's just I don't think that's the solution. Well, I ended up, Tom, selling a four-year contract for annual training for the management staff and occasionally for the broader staff as well. And she said, would you also be my personal mentor? 
Yes. And so I was hired as her confidant on top of all the rest of that. All this started with me driving down the hill two blocks to the country club, giving a speech to the group and then going back home. <laughs> no, 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 no. What it resulted in was I ended up hosting a discussion series for all the members of the country club. Thirty nine of those events over a few years. I became known by every single member of the staff of the country club and everywhere I went, every direction I turned. Hey, Mr. Cathcart. Hey, how are you doing today? Hey, how's that motorcycle? I understand you're playing and singing down at Bogey's Bar. You know, that. so it was wonderful. We were treated like kings and queens there. And uh, all of that came from, would you give us a motivational speech? So, so two things I, w- I want to follow up on that you said. First of all, so, so the real answer is to, to be able to solve their problem and not just give a speech. You have to ask a lot of probing questions, correct? And you got to wonder what the answers are. So it's not about the questions. It's about finding the thing. I wrote a book, Intelligent Curiosity. I wrote it with Lisa Patrick out of Canada, and she was a former private detective. So it was a natural for this. But it's about how to know what to wonder about so that you can structure good questions and probe well. So sometimes when you're trying to solve their problem, they're not even aware what their problem necessarily is with the way you describe that, right? Exactly. And especially if it's some executive assistant who called and said, hey, Tom told me that I've got to get a speaker for our meeting and we need somebody, you know, who's white or brown or blue or yellow or red or green or, you know, tall or short or fat or thin or or uh, old or young. So are you one of those? So the, the other thing I wanted to touch on that you said is you talked about, you know, in, in your introduction, when we when we pre-planned the introduction, you called yourself a motivational speaker and you talked about they call you and ask for a motivational speaker. Now, that's a term that some people sneer at. Oh, motivational speaker. Yeah. You, you don't shy away from it. How do, how do you feel about that oh, term? I embrace it. See, motivation is two words. It's motive and action. And without a motive, any action is just random behavior. Without action, any motive is simply a fantasy or a dream. So motive, action, motivation is vitally important. You go to a company, any company, any organization, uh, doesn't have to be a company, and just say, tell me what your problem areas are what's not operating at the level you want it to be and they say well it's our people are you know and they've got all the usual menu of problems that you have in organizations so you start probing you say tom do you think those problems are a lack of skill the people don't have the ability to do that no they could clearly do it we hire well okay uh is it a lack of knowledge they don't know enough to do it right uh, no, actually, they're they're pretty well informed and educated. Is it a lack of um, uh, maybe motivation? Well, there's yeah, there's that. You know, I'm proud to be a motivational speaker. Heck, if your people aren't doing what you would like them to do, then maybe their motives aren't your motives. And it's time for a motivational seminar or presentation or dialogue. Yeah, I've never shied away from that that topic either, even though a lot of people have said, oh, don't call yourself that or whatever, because I've always thought every speaker, no matter what your topic is, has to be a motivational speaker because you're, you're talking to the audience to get them to take some sort of action, to take some sort of change. And early on, I forget who told me this, but somebody said, if somebody tells you they don't want a motivational speaker, ask them, 
well, what's the opposite of motivation? <laughs> and the only actual answer that I've, and I've used this with clients who've said, oh, we're not sure we want a motivational speaker. And I say, well, everybody should be motivating people to do something. What, what, what's the opposite of motivation? And most people, the only thing they can come up with is unmotivation, you know, and, uh, you right. know, demotivated. Yeah. And then one person told me, one person told me one time, sucks the energy out of the room. And then she paused and said, oh, yeah, we don't want that. We don't want the opposite of motivation. So content is certainly important, but I've never really run across anybody who was just motivation. I mean, what is rah, rah, you know, you can do it. That well, Content, just send them a book, <laughs> right? Or just record the and narrate the data into a, a recording and send it to them that way. If what they want is information, you know, there you go. Right. I went into a, a uh, strategic planning retreat, a two-day retreat one time as the leader of the event. And there were 19 people, 19 executives that were serving on the board. And they said, we want you to help us come up with a strategic plan and, you know, really get the group together. And the previous year, they had had a consulting firm come in for tens of thousands of dollars and do just that. And they had this big red binder that had mission, vision, values, purpose, roles, responsibilities, you know, timelines, all these kind of things, everything you'd put in a strategic plan. But nobody was using it. Because of infighting and old boys network versus the new kids and, you know, all that stuff. So I come in and I say, hey, before we get into the meat of the plan. Why did you get into this profession? And a guy looked at me and he said, look, just get on with the strategic planning. We already know why we got into this. I said, okay, meeting adjourned. <laughs> what do you mean meeting adjourned? We hired you to, I said, no, you don't have to pay me. But if you're not willing to revisit what matters about this profession to you, then it's not going to do any good. By the way, here's a red ring binder that's got all the things you're asking for. <laughs> but on the other hand, as I'm packing, I say in this, if you want me to work with you to get everybody to connect and commit with each other to making this profession what you would like it to be, then I think we've got a program. And they said, OK. So I want to move on to your second tip, which is be a bigger resource than they expect. And I think you've sort of touched on some of that already. But but what do you mean by be a bigger resource than they expect? Well, I was hired one time for a, a speech at an insurance agency retreat in Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma. The, Joe Willard was the general agent. And for the Mass Mutual General Agency in Tulsa, they held a sales motivational retreat at a local resort. And I was brought in. This was back in my JC's days. Uh, I was brought in as an expert on goal setting to teach a seminar on goal setting. So I did. And it went over well. And I was working out in the spa at the resort later. And Joe was in there and he said, hey, Jim, that went over well. He said, would you be interested in coming back in a few months and doing a program for my whole staff? And I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. So time goes on. I come back in a few months and they've moved from an old, tired downtown office to a brand new office building, penthouse floor, Elegant, man. I mean, you know, just really, really upscale. And I go down this long, elegant hallway to Joe's office and I sit, sit down and he pushes a button and the door closes and pushes another and the drapes close. And I start looking for trap doors in the floor. You know? <laughs> and uh, he says, Jim, I changed my mind. 
I said, what do you mean you changed your mind? And he said, I don't want you to do a program for the staff. And I said, well, it's clear that you guys are way out of my league and you don't need me. He said, no, 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 no. I want you to move in. What do you mean? I've got a corner office out down here. It's all yours. Come move in. Be my personal confidant and a coach and a trainer for my agents and my staff. I want you here all the time. I said, but Joe, I don't want an insurance career. He said, you want to be a speaker, right? I said, yeah. He said, well, you got to do it somewhere. He said, I will give you the office space, a, a monthly retainer, da, 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 in exchange for X days per year of your advice consulting and your presence, because you, you have a motivational effect on other people, and I want you around. Well, it had never occurred to me I could be a bigger solution like that. I saw myself as a series of speeches loaded into a dispenser. <laughs> and I would go around and dispense one of those speeches and get paid and go do it again. But man, when I started realizing I could do that, my world expanded exponentially. I was there six years and didn't have any overhead in the first six years of my full-time speaking career. So I think that's a great piece of advice because even today, you know, four plus decades later, you know, when we, when we look at it, being able to be a resource like that and having somebody put you on retainer and, and maybe give you free office space and take care of your morning coffee and things like that, that's something that could change somebody's entire career if they were able to be sort of that that base point. So I think that's, that's a great idea. If you can find a way to be a bigger resource, you can create lots of different ways to do this business. Yeah. And Joe recommended me to the other mass mutual agencies. And I got 36 bookings from other agencies, plus hired by the home office to write training programs for them. And that led to the whole insurance industry, the banking industry, you know, on and on and on over the years. And it, it, Joe and I are still dear, dear personal friends to this day. And about four years ago before COVID, I called him and I said, Joe, I'm doing a lot of tours of mainland China and uh, speaking to big crowds of thousands of people. And I want you to come to China with me next month as my guest. <laughs> I'm paying for the first class round trip airfare. I'm paying for the hotel. We're going to have the time of our lives and go to about eight or 10 cities in China. Are you up for that? And he said, absolutely. And since then, he's told me three or four times he doesn't remember having that much fun as an adult. Well, you know what I love about that story? It's he's kind of the guy who helped give you your big break, right? He helped you set up Precisely. what you were doing and you found a way to say thank you. You know, in Texas and, and you you moved from Los Angeles to Austin, Texas during the uh, during the pandemic. So you're now my neighbor yeah. in Austin, Texas. And we have an old saying in Texas, and that is you dance with the one who brung you. And I love That's the right. fact that even four decades later, you found a way to say thank you to somebody. And I think that goes back to that whole spirit of Cavett. Who's my Cavett? You know, who, yeah. who helped me get going in this business, either inside NSA or outside NSA. I think finding ways to, to give a nice warm hug to those people or a free trip to China is mm -hmm. uh, a great thing to remember and ties very much into your whole idea of professionalism because professionals do things at the top notch way. So I think I think that's kind of a great a great way to wrap it up. Before we do, is there anything else on this whole idea of professionalism and being able to be a giant resource and give more and do more? Anything else you'd like to add? 
Yes, something that I started doing years ago after hearing from many, 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 many clients, many being in the hundreds, what they were concerned about, what they were interested in, what they wanted to avoid from a speaker. I wrote a service commitment. And my service commitment is a document I send them in advance of each speaking engagement. And it says, here's what I will do as I prepare. Here's what I will do when I arrive on site. Here's what I'll do during my speech. Here's what I will do after my speech. And here's what I won't do because I know you don't want it. Like I won't disclose your private information outside of this group. I won't abuse my speech by turning it into a sales pitch. I won't (laughs) be rude to an audience member. I won't panic or, you know, become a problem if there's a a fire or an alarm or a medical emergency or something like that comes up during the meeting. And people so appreciate that because I'm telling them, I'll do everything you want me to do. And I won't do the things you don't want me to do. And on my list, I only have one line in the whole thing that's in bold. And it's this one. I will tell you the truth 100% of the time. I like that. That's in writing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Jim Cathcart, thank you so much for joining us here on Speakernomics, the official podcast of the National Speakers Association. We appreciate you being here and for all the service you've done, both for NSA and for the industry of professional speaking over the years. So thank you. Treat to be with you, Tom. You've done a great job with Speakernomics. Well, and thank you to everybody who tuned in and joined us. Do us a favor. Be here every single week for more thoughts, ideas, and actionable information on how to make more money and just be better as a professional speaker. And always remember the motto of this podcast. Speak. Get paid. Repeat. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.